Yeah, so I guess we'll get started. So welcome on to the Athletic Perspective podcast. Happy to have you on. I thought maybe we could start out if you wanted to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of a, an overview of your background. Yeah, so uh, my name is Maggie Shake. I'm a doctoral candidate in my fourth year right now in the School of Human Kinetics at the University of Ottawa. I primarily, my research interests and my areas of expertise in positive youth development, sport and recreation. And that's where I started in my master's. And it's kind of developed into this broad array of different experts that I carry, if expertise is a word. Um, but program evaluation is one of the main areas in terms of my work with community organizations and sport organizations. Primarily, that's the role I fulfill. Uh, I also, in my research and academic work, have looked at coach learning and uh, life skill development in children and youth and coach learning how to teach life skills. With regards to my current dissertation work, uh, it's a unique kind of offshoot of positive youth development. It's, it's something known as trauma-sensitive or trauma-informed sport programming, where we look at being able to create sport that is more inclusive to children and youth of different backgrounds and experiences, particularly if those children have experienced uh, significant adversity or traumatic experiences, either currently or historically in their life. And so we help to create resilience building opportunities for those children. And so a primary role that I've adopted is in, in my dissertation is exploring uh, what that programming looks like and, and evaluating the effectiveness of that kind of program uh, with the BGC Canada, or which used to be known as the Boys and Girls Club Canada. So that's just a little little piece about me. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I can see how how that work you do with your dissertation um, connects to that evaluation focus or that evaluation expertise that that you have and have developed over your sort of academic career there. Because obviously, when you're doing programming like that, you have to have to be really careful, and you want to ensure that it works and it's achieving what you're wanting to achieve. And so, a bit of a background for how I got connected with Maggie. So, for those listening, I attended a webinar a couple of weeks ago, um, hosted by Cirque, and and he did a presentation on program evaluation in youth sport that I thought was really really interesting. And so, I invited him on to come and chat about some of that stuff. Um, on the podcast. And so that's going to be the focus for what we'll talk about today. So tell us a little bit more about your your academic background. Like, how did you get into this area? What what sort of led you to exploring this as a research topic and exploring this uh, professionally as well? That's a good way to start this. I mean, when I think about my academic background, my interests started really from practical lived experiences. So I participated in mostly recreational sport programs as a kid. Um, I came from a under-resourced community. My parents were refugees. Uh, we didn't have a lot of income growing up um, or opportunities afforded to us. So uh, we had to really go find, in terms of sport and participating in sport, that was a financial barrier that my parents could never access. And and within our cultural values, it was never something that was emphasized. And it's something, but I, I did know growing up in Canada, I did know that like sport and recreation, it, it is something desirable. It is something um, that I liked, uh, but never could get my foot in. So um, I, I did participate in, in, in some community sport programs as a kid um, and leadership programs, one of which the main one was actually uh, 
uh, air cadets. I was uh, part of an air cadet program. And that's where I participated in regular sport programming and immersed myself in uh, different types of multi-sport tournaments and games. Um, and from that, I kind of generated a little bit of uh, interest in sport and an interest in social and youth work and leadership. And so in my younger adult days, I took on more different roles as like a, a counselor in summer camps uh, and after school programming. And in the GTA, I worked with a nonprofit to facilitate different youth fitness and nutrition education. We looked at creating different sport activities and games for kids who are also from under-resourced communities who also may not have those opportunities to participate in healthy, active living and in sport and in games. And so that's where I really developed my passion. It was through lived experience. It was also through just the coaching and facilitating of it and seeing that this type of programming can make a difference. And so um, Dr. Tanya Fineris, who was uh, my master's supervisor and now is my currently uh, my doctoral co-supervisor, she's now at the University of British Columbia, I'm at U, uh, University of Ottawa. I connected with her when I was searching for different ways to advance the work that we're doing in practice, because I realized that when we were facilitating these programs in, in Greater Toronto area and, and with youth, we were in developing our curriculums, we were able to look at what the evidence showed in terms of what we're good life skill practices. And, and the, the evidence was still just emerging emerging there, but what are the ways to make sport more accessible and more, more beneficial for um, all children who participate, regardless of just their talent? And so, yeah, creating sport as a character building experience was something I was interested in. And Dr. Tanya Fineris did that kind of work. Sure, her main area of work was in positive youth development through sport. And so had a conversation with her got into my master's, really got into working with different organizations like the Start to Finish Running and Reading Club, again, BGC uh, in Ottawa and, and local community organizations in Ottawa. And I also worked with Dr. Corliss Bean, who is now at the Brock University. She's in the Rec and Leisure Department. But during her PhD, that's where I kind of got introduced to the evaluation world and where I would work with different local organizations like Canada Knights football or Mavericks volleyball or uh, Ottawa International Soccer Club and and working with these organizations to understand their quality their program quality practices how their coaches are implementing programming and what are some of the practices and strategies that they use uh, promote positive development both sports skill development and also life skill development and efficacy and mattering for those children and youth and, and also looking from the the children and youth and athletes part the their from their end what are those outcomes that they perceive are they actually perceiving life skill development and so that's what kind of we were evaluating and that's how I kind of got got into that evaluation realm and then during my PhD as I said before uh, working with BGC Canada, actually, with um, with our uh, trauma-sensitive program work. Uh, and that's where I'm evaluating. With the, the program's called the Bounce Back League. I've been working for the past five years in the development and evaluation of this program. And uh, here we used different, we work to integrate different ongoing evaluation practices within the fabric of the program, uh, moving from just this uh, approach where you only do evaluation at the end of a project or at the end of a program year to actually integrating it into the activities and into the programming um, uh, and, and moving away from also just having it as like, we only do one survey session at the beginning and then you go through the activities, but rather having the evaluation activity itself be 
a activity, a program activity or a sport activity. Yeah. And I find, you know, stuff like that is so important to embed. You get so much more, I don't, I don't know if accurate data is, is fair to say, but quality of data, you know, you can pull so much more information when organizations are able to embed evaluation practices into that stuff, like you've highlighted. So touching on your research and some of the stuff you're doing uh, with that right now, are there any stories that, that you'd like to share around that? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start off generally with more of a, a sentiment. One of the major things I've learned in, in working with the particular type of work programming, and this is not going to be necessarily related to evaluation, but I think it's important for anybody who's listening to this type of podcast to, to, to hear. When I remember from my practical experiences, and I'm sure anybody who's listening who's been a camp counselor or who's been a coach who's been in any position where they work, there is a value of having this extra level of understanding of how stress can impact anybody's daily behaviors and their, their experiences or the way they participate in programming. It can impact us in the way we facilitate programming, but especially for our mm-hmm. athletes and children. And so that's the, the, this where I'm trying to get into the trauma-sensitive approach of things, where when I think about when I was a camp counselor, there was always this kid, like there's always just in every group, there was always this one child or that you could just not get to listen to your instructor. No matter what you did, they were a disruption to those. And one of the strategies that we used to use is just put that kid in a timeout or get that kid away from the activities and in a sense, almost being punitive or punishing that kid. But a lot of times, it's not like that kid is getting up every day and being like, I want to be a nuisance to my coach today. I want to be a disruption. A lot of the times, actually, it could be that something in the environment or something that's happened near them has triggered or or stimulated some sort of experience or, or some sort of stress. And in that mode, they might be having some sort of fight, flight or freeze response where they're being either aggressive or they're being disengaged or they're being disruptive. And in that moment, it's really important for the coach to be, you know, like really patient and, and understanding of that, that it's not something personal to you, like they're not doing it out of uh, out of spite to you. But rather, it could be that it it's just a lack of skill rather than a lack of will. They're not, they're not willing. Uh, it, it's not that they're not willing to cooperate. It may be that they just don't have the skills in the moment to deal with the stress and cope that they're doing. So I've always found that one has been a really kind of a light switch philosophy for a lot of the coaches uh, that we work with. And sorry, sorry, it is a little bit of a tangent away from evaluation, but it, uh, I, I think that's one of the kind of the reasons I carry forward in these evaluation practices, because I would love if more of the sporting world was introduced to these trauma-sensitive approaches and integrating them in in the fabric of their organizations. And that's kind of where we're doing that evaluation for is we're trying to understand and unravel. Yeah, perhaps it's a a little off topic, but I think most importantly, it it provides sort of that underlying philosophy for what you do. Um, So I think that's important context uh, for, for the conversation as a whole. Even, you know, even just listening to you share that, I've I, even just hearing you say that I'm reflecting on instances where, you know, that one kid who just wouldn't listen to what you were trying to get across and thinking about how I dealt with those situations. And um, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting philosophy to have. And I think you raise a really good point that that's not really an approach that's taken um, more often than not when it comes to that sort of thing. 
So then I guess transitioning now to a little bit more of the program evaluation stuff with that in mind, with that philosophy in mind, um, I guess my question to you then is, is why do evaluation, what the benefits are, you know, if, if that's the philosophy and understanding sort of what you want to get out of it, why should sport organizations take that approach? Yeah. So a lot of sport organizations and sport programs, they might operate how I always have seen it is that when I've worked with these organizations, yeah, there is that perception that that the way they're operating and why, why change the practice kind of thing. The extent to which they've actually generated evidence within their organization or data that supports the idea that it's working, other than just, I think it is, it, it doesn't really add or, or approach credibility for them to carry forward the practices, right? Uh, so one of which, the main thing about evaluation is, is to build that credibility, to build that data, to build that evidence. So your program may be doing good work. Well, how are you going to show it? What is what is the data behind it? What are well, what are your participants saying about it? What are uh, and, and data could be as simple as the form of just testimonials, which some are adopt. Now, are those testimonials specific and are they specific to the program activities that are offered and are they updated uh, on a, a single basis to actually reflect what your program is offering? So, so that's that's kind of the key piece is, is evaluation. You use evaluation build credibility. Uh, evidence that your program is doing the work that it says. One of the other things is that you also are able to gain more insights into your program that may not otherwise come to service if you're just looking at it from an out. So if you um, are a program organization uh, uh, organizer or decision maker and you're looking at your program only one lens, when you incorporate evaluation and you're incorporating different stakeholders besides perspectives, stakeholders being your athletes, your coaches, parents, and caregivers. When you're incorporating their perspectives, you get multiple different eyes rather than just your own. And multiple different eyes when looking at something are able to, it's like one of those pictures where you you have a a picture in one frame and a picture in another frame and the title says spot the difference. And if you're the only one looking at that picture, you might be able to spot one or two. If you got multiple eyes, you might be finding, you know, like a multitude of difference because that's just the power of diversity and the power of perspective or, or um, be looking at a program or through different lenses, either from their own lived experiences or also just from just the way that they interact with uh, the program and they look at it. So that's another thing, right? Uh, so it's it's building credibility and data, also just being able to f- understand insights that you other might otherwise use. And then it's the using of that data, using of that about to be able to inform your decision, inform program improvement. So what, like it's, it's one of the obvious things, but being able to get feed about back about your program helps you understand what your needs are of your app. And then you can perform actions, meet those needs. That's one of the well, reasons we incorporate those feedback procedures. And that's an, a form, that's a form of evaluation. And then if you're thinking a little bit more abstract about perceptions, like what are we gaining kind of thing and, and what are the different program activities that to certain developmental gains for kids. So maybe if you ask a kid whether they feel that they're acting out of their own will in the program. And if if you find that that athlete return, you know, uh, that the return rate on those responses, the athletes don't feel like they're they, they, they say that they're having fun, but they don't feel like they have a lot of autonomy. You may think about, hmm, maybe we should offer uh, a more variety of a different program activity or, or activity so that they have more choice because 
as we may know in the sports psychology world, the offering or autonomy helps to motivate those children and also help feel better about their participation. So, so those, those just little examples. So I, I think I spoke to credibility. I spoke to um, being able to gain insights that you wouldn't otherwise be able to see, being able to use those findings to inform. And, and then it's also the sharing piece too. There's the sharing and communicating those mm-hmm. findings so that other people can learn about your program. Other people can learn about what evidence drives your program and what, what activities actually drive your program. And, and also you can use that evidence to help seek out more funding. Because a lot of things that funders and community partners want to learn about a program they, they, they not only want to know that you think you can do it, but they want the evidence that backs up. You can do it. You have abilities to do it. And data can tell a lot of that data, whether it's through statistics or whether it's through stories that you're being able to tell a narrative story of your program. Well, I think that's perhaps a good segue then, this idea of stories and statistics and what sort of constitutes data in these program evaluations. Would you want to expand on that a little bit and how, you know, you'd mentioned narratives and storytelling um, as one example there, but the different different ways in which organizations can sort of understand or conceptualize what data is, what data looks like, and how different forms of data can be used? Yes. So some of what I've already spoken to, just being able to get feedback, testimonials. Testimonials are often stories. Often when you see testimonials, they're often just a single participant, right? When, when you want to present certain things in, in communicating what your evaluation might do overall or what your program might do overall, it's a, a good way to do that is to tell about the shared experience, not just the individual. And, and to do that, to generate stories, important to be able to incorporate those opportunities for actual verbal feedback and verbal verbalized storytelling. And it might not even be what well, one way is being very explicit. Can you tell me about your program? But you can also do it in more indirect right? You can ask questions uh, during a debrief or a, a team huddle, where often that's a place where you could also get them to just reflect on the games and activities without asking them in a way that almost when you're asking for a testimonial, you're asking for them to be good. When you're asking them to reflect on the game, you're asking them to say anything, which is a mm. little bit more in terms of quality. You want to be able to get the good, capture the good and the bad. You want to be able to get the, yeah, the good and the bad and the neutral experiences. You want to be able to understand the program mix for what it is. And a lot of time that comes out through conversations, conversations like you're currently having and, and, and just sentiments that are shared rather than just only through solicited. So yeah, it, it's important to think about the ways that you can incorporate feedback and integrate feedback within activities and within conversation they already have and be able to generate those reflections because it's also important to capture those those challenges too which which helps you to let's say you capture those challenges story and you use that understanding of those challenges to help navigate or come up with a strategy to help navigate challenges and then you can tell that story to your spouse. You can tell not only the stories of your participants, but also how you navigated or how you use those stories. And now you mentioned earlier developing sort of program evaluation so that it's embedded sort of within the program, within the sport activity or whatever that looks like. Do you have any examples of ideas or, or you know, sort of strategies that sport organizations or folks listening might be able to use or, or consider when developing uh, or when, when looking towards evaluating their own programs? Assuming it's a sport program with youth athletes, 
yeah, I'm just wondering what, what ideas you might have around that or suggestions. Yeah. So I often say, look for, look for the reflection periods first. That might happen at the start of your program practice when you gather everybody together. Uh, you ask them at home on a certain drill or like that and, and ask them not only whether they did those things, not only using it as a, a feature of a key for those athletes, but also using it as, as a way to probe how those, what, what could be improved about those. Again, adding and incorporating feedback. So I would say, yeah, a uh, rival period when you gather children together or team huddles and debriefs after a practice where you gather. Another one that we've used is uh, kind of the coach interview where while the game is going on and you kind of interview the, the kid as a professional athlete and just get insights that way to kind of get them on the hot mic, ask them things in the moment that give insights to. So yeah, it, there are ways to just integrate it within those, the fabric of those practices. I, I, I really like that substituting idea. I really think that the focus group is also a good one. Um, what's important throughout these is it, one of the ways in which you would have the capacity to do this, really good programs, just sometimes, you know, someone calls in sick, they can't make it, you only have one coach on the floor. So it's important to, you know, be able to document those pieces. And if there's another coach there that can document it, but if not, if you have those um, athletes permission, be able to actually record um, audio record, uh, it, it's really important. And it's a really good way of integrating your activity. Yeah, I can picture doing something like that, that bench interview and that having a lot of success with the kids. You know, you'd mentioned some of the limitations of something like that, where you have to have a couple coaches or you might not have access to recording uh, privileges or whatever that looks like. So, you know, on the assumption then that audio can't be recorded, um, obviously, in, in certain instances with certain programs um, that that just might not be something that's possible. Um, what other ways could coaches or, or other stakeholders look to collect data then sort of in the moment? A big reliance would be on just a clipboard and notes. Is, is that kind of the, the main method? Yeah, I, I mean, we might find that <laughs> I've been a coach, take my work plan, I write things down and I never look. That documenting that you already do and that opportunity to take to document is evaluation data. That's data that could, and whether it's, it's, it's you, you might not be using it in the moment, but it could be useful later. Right. So yeah, being able to collect data through, through notes that you're taking and journaling that program. Also for coaches who, you know, who do operate many programs, do operate multiple coaches. Often there is that coach reflection deep do after a practice. And if you don't already, it's a really good idea too, because that can also be an opportunity for kind of an end. Okay, we did these program activities, drills. How did we feel about what did work? What did we, in terms of our work plan and our game plan that set before the practice, to what extent were we able to actually facilitate all those acts? And to what extent were we challenged? And do we need to change the way that we facilitate activities, it's the actual work plan and practice. Those are the ways to incorporate kind of ongoing reflection evaluation that you're actually able to use on a weekly basis. If you're mm -hmm. reflecting right after, and yeah, I, I, I've mostly been talking about reflection of previous. Those conversations are also an opportunity when you're collecting evaluation is to think about your goals, about how you're going to change or improve or what you can do and what you can try next. 
when we think about evaluation program activities, when we do programs to programs and sessions to sessions, uh, okay, well, that didn't work. We tried the substituting. Uh, it didn't work for this, this reason. We could try it again, or we could try an alternative. So that evaluation, uh, when you're in the developmental stages, just figuring out how to incorporate a value, it's really important to take on that trial and error approach of uh, what worked, what didn't, and what's the goal. Now, one of the things you had brought up before was the capacity for evaluation of, of various organizations. Obviously, you know, that would be a big, I don't want to say barrier, but I guess a limiting factor in some ways. So I'm just curious, like recognizing that a lot of amateur sport organizations rely very heavily on volunteers and and people sort of like volunteering their time to just to run the program and coach and whatever that looks like. How can amateur sport organizations conduct this without without overburdening their volunteers? And and I guess also with a mind for long term evaluation planning, where at least in my experience, doing program evaluation with sport organizations, more often than not, it's sort of fallen on one or two or a few sort of key individuals. And, you know, if you're looking long term, what happens if that the volunteer no longer has time to volunteer and, and they're sort of that main person who's doing the evaluation, you know, like how, how can you develop this in a way that has that sort of long-term plan in mind? So what you raise, that's a really important question. And what you raise is a reality, an inevitable reality, grassroots, small organization. And there are different ways that you could navigate it, but nothing's guaranteed, right? Like you could lose a volunteer, you're gone, right? Like that's just, that's the reality of it. And, And it's really up to you to think about evaluation the same way, right? Like your programming will still go on and your program sessions will still go on. Even if you lose a volunteer, you replace somebody else or get somebody else to come in and substitute. And you should think about evaluation and prioritize it to your program program session that somebody else would have to step up. If your soccer coach leaves, it doesn't mean you're going to stop soccer. So it, 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 it has to start first with actually prioritizing. And when you do that, for it to be a core component, it, it becomes less of something that's an overburden because it's not something that's an add-on anymore. It's actually a part of your program. It's actually your programming and evaluation are are your program. So there's that. In terms of just those day-to-day barriers, um, if, if you're just a coach who wants to incorporate evaluation, one is something that I already mentioned. It's that thinking about it, being as simple and small as possible and only add in short steps. Don't try to do everything at once uh, in the beginning. It's not necessarily manageable and you won't get everything right. And too many things are going to fall out of place that will impede on your motivation to continue to do it. So it's really important to set those small goals. Another thing, if you're an organization that already engages in evaluation, you want to learn about not overburdening. One of the things is actually learning what the burden is. To do that is, again, gathering those perspectives from those coaches, evaluation tiers as well and incorporate them in the actual generating. A lot of organizations may have valuation mandates that come from different funders, and then they have to put those onto their coach and the coaches are never involved in the process. They're just handed a set of survey questions to gather evaluation. And that goes, that all happens without consideration. That, that may happen without consideration, the direct perspective of those coaches. So it's important to get them in that planning process, hear about, hear them out, 
take a step back. Maybe I'll, I'll change the ask that we're giving these coaches the feedback. I, I think you mentioned something. Okay. Yeah. I think you mentioned long-term evaluation. I think mm-hmm. you develop things over the long-term. You start with building blocks and, and when it's, when it's created as an organizational priority as that. One of the ways to actually fulfill it as an organizational priority is to generate that team. A real benefit to having teams that are comprised of not only your internal stakeholders, so those administrators that are involved, but also getting the um, insights of and perspectives of community partners, different sponsors and funders, or or even partnering with a local university, college, somebody in that realm of research and academia. Being able to compare a team of evaluators that, again, I mentioned it before, but diverse perspectives, getting the lived experiences of your internal stakeholders, but not only relying on just your internal, think about external capacities, people out there that are looking for opportunity, plenty of students who are itching to get in there, you know, take advantage of, of that and provide them a valuable opportunity. And then the other thing is uh, instrumental resources or, or, or organizational resources. So there's a lot of, you met me through. Uh, SIRC, CERC, um, they're an organization, a partner and a resource that offers different evaluation tools and kits and webinars, and ways to learn about how you can incorporate these evaluation. There's YouthRex. YouthRex offers a youth evaluation consulting and services, and they also offer toolkits and webinars and courses. Uh, and the, a lot of these services are free, so a lot of what you can gather from CERC webinars and stuff and workshops, a lot of those are free. YouthRex, I'm pretty sure, offers some free consulting services to organizations across uh, Ontario, I believe. Yeah, there's several, Jay's Care, I mean, there's several sponsors that are are, are incorporating evaluation already. MLSC's Care, Canadian Jumpstart, these are all the major funders. Yeah, and that was going to be my follow-up question to that is where can folks within the the sport community find or access these resources? So I'm really happy that you touched on that. And what I'll do as well is in the the notes and, and stuff for this podcast episode is I'll share links to some of those resources for folks to access. So all of that will be included. So we'll start to wrap it up then. And I was just wondering if you had any any final thoughts or questions or comments on any of that stuff that we've been talking about. Yeah, uh, I, I think I've I've threaded it throughout some of the the, the work I've been saying. Uh, it's about being okay with making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, yeah, look look to those some of those resources. We'll have some of those creative data collection activities. I only talked about a little bit, like really slight ones. If you're just looking to get your feet wet, but there's a lot more in terms of the creative data. Uh, collection world and using ways to generate more youth input and athlete input in ways that's actually empowering to them and then offer them. So some of the things that we've tried before are like photo voice. Photo voice is the idea of just um, getting youth to uh, or athlete to take pictures of their environment, choose certain pictures to talk about that picture. So that that's like a really creative way. Of course, you need some extra resources, but it's really cool to look at that and, and just kind of borrow ideas. Plenty of literature, blogs, articles, resources, webinars, workshops out there that have looked at this stuff and people sharing case studies. It's a good idea to check a few of those out. Yeah, great. Thanks for all those suggestions. And thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast and chat about some of your area of expertise and experiences in this. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mike. Thank you for tuning in. 
the Athletic Perspective podcast. Check us out online via our website, athleticperspective.com. Again, that's athleticperspective, all one word, dot com. Or on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, whatever you prefer. We have some great guests, some great content lined up, so stay tuned for more.